Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. I wonder, have you ever thought, what does it mean to be Welsh? What does it mean? Like, like how do you define what being Welsh is? So, so, so if we said, for instance, Nick Engels is Welsh, how have we arrived at that conclusion? And many people would say, well, because he was born in Wales. That's it. That's the end of the story. But I want to, you know, I just really want to challenge that because, like, I've lived in Wales for 30 years. I've got a house in Wales. I set up a ministry in Wales. My wife is Welsh. My kids are Welsh. I pay my community charge um, in Wales. So, am I Welsh? How very dare you? I choose to identify as Welsh, quite honestly. Anywhere I go in, in the world where they ask you for your nationality, I never put British, I don't even know what that means. I put Welsh, because I think I feel Welsh. They don't know I'm not Welsh. Nobody else can say I'm not. I'm Welsh. It's as simple as that for me. It... it now, if I said to you, and I'm, uh, these illustrations I'm not identifying with, just to be clear, if I said to you, I'm a communist, what do you think that would mean? How would you define that? Well, I'm going to help you. Karl Marx himself said, the theory of communism may be summed up in one sentence, abolish all private property. That's it. That, according to Karl Marx, if you believe that, that makes you a communist. If you don't believe that, you're not a communist. What does it mean to be a capitalist? Well, capitalism is a monetary arrangement in which goods and services are owned by groups and individuals that are not associated with the government. If you believe that, it makes you a capitalist. If you're a conservative, conservatism is a type of political belief that supports emphasis on traditions and relies on the individual to maintain society. But really... Is it quite as simple as that? I mean, are those definitions quite accurate? A guy once came to, I mean, a lady once came to my house for dinner, and she saw that I got a big collection of books. And one of the books was um, the uh, diary of, um, oh, I've just forgotten his name now. Um, <laughs> the diary of Adrian Mole, no, no, no. The, uh, is the, the diary of um, Alistair, the guy who used to work for Tony Blair. Alistair Campbell, I had his diaries, right, yeah. And, uh, and so she went home and she told her husband I'd got this. And he decided that if I got that diary, that must mean that I'm a socialist. And, um, he, and now, every week, he sends me vast, vast emails on socialist beliefs and, 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 and concepts. And it seems to me to be quite complicated to be a socialist. You see... These things seem to have to have lots and lots of descriptions and understanding in order to be able to identify as that thing. But Jesus says in order to identify as a Jesus follower, in order to identify a disciple as a disciple, it can be summed up in two sentences. And you know what they are. It's in Mark 12. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Notice that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is, is 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, there's a similar account um, in the book of Matthew, and I, I don't think it's actually the same incident because when Jesus answers in Mark, the guy seems to be quite satisfied with the answer, thinks it's a good answer. When you read um, the account in Matthew, it looks like the guy's trying to catch him out. He, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to uh, find a way of actually, can I persecute this guy? Can I expose him as being a false prophet? It seems to be a, a different account. And we shouldn't be surprised about that because um, if it's, this is the most significant thing that Jesus wanted to say to his followers, it's entirely possible that he might have said it more than once, don't you think? I've got this kind of principle of leadership, which is, um, on a good day, I try not to worry about the things that I can't control. So, uh, and so that actually comes out in the fact that quite often, if I'm, say, in a meeting with Daniel and Lucy, and we're, we, you know, we're trying to work something out, and it's something that we can't do anything about, I, I say, oh, well, do you know what? It is what it is. It is what it is. And I didn't realize I said it until I began to realize that I would hear them say back to me, we're trying to do this, we can't really get it sorted today, but you know what, hey, what, it is what it is. I couldn't work out actually whether they were mocking me or whether they'd actually taken on the attributes of the leadership style that I'd kind of um, displayed to them. If you ask my kids, when do you think your dad's going to die? Which is maybe a weird question to ask in my grant. But they would all, both of them would say, when he's 104. And the reason they would say that is because when they were little, and the kids worry about, how, oh, are you going to die, Dad? I'd say, yeah, I am. I'm going to die when I'm 104. And I said it to them so much that they actually remember it, and they still quote it back to me. You will know that there are certain key phrases and certain key verses that Andy will speak again and again. And it's not because he hasn't got anything else to say. It's because they're foundational truths. The foundational things that, that actually develop culture that suggest who we are, what we believe, and why we do what we do. And Jesus, I think, here... Is, is consistently saying to people in, in, in many different ways, look, it's, it's, this is all you need to know. You need to love God with everything you've got, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else I'm going to talk to you actually is a reflection of that meta-narrative, that big truth. So if the first one, the most important one, is to love God with everything you've got, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, I guess I want to say to you, and I'm not asking you to, to speak out loud, I'm asking you a question for you to respond to in your heart. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing at that? Loving God with everything. If it took every bit of strength for you to get to prayers this morning, spiritually, that, you know, you were like, oh, I can only just manage, only just got to church on Sunday. I'm really, really struggling. Well, well done. Well done. Well done for doing it. Well done for making it. Jesus sees that as your widow's might, that you gave everything you could. 
But let's be honest, that's not going to be most of our stories. Most of our stories is we're doing better than that, but we're holding back. You might have heard me tell the story of, uh, of Billy Graham as a young preacher. Uh, he's just started off as an independent evangelist. He's, he's trying to bring up a family. He's got no money. He goes to church and uh, he's in church Sunday morning with his wife, Ruth, and they bring down, they start to pass around the offering basket. And he knows in one pocket he's got a dollar bill. And he knows in the other pocket he's got a hundred dollar bill, which is the honorarium that he'd been given for a mission he'd done that week. And he can't remember which pocket contains which note. And he, he thinks, I can't pull the notes out and put them back. I'm just going to have to go for it. So the offering basket comes around. He puts his hand in his pocket. And to his absolute distress, he sees he's dropped the hundred dollars into the offering basket. And on the way home, he says, to his wa- he says to his wife, let me tell you what happened today. I tried to put the dollar in, but I ended up putting the hundred dollar in. And Ruthie's wife said, oh, don't worry. God will treat your hundred dollars like it was a dollar. Because where your treasure is, there is your heart. So if you're not putting God first, if you're not giving him 100%, if you're not meditating on his word day and night, if effectively what you're doing is tipping God, you know, with whatever you've got in the bottom of your pocket, you know, um, you know, your 30-second Bible reading first thing in the morning, your quick prayer when you need something, let's be honest, we've got a way to go. If You know, if you were being convicted today of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a lover of God? So, if you know that's where you are, how do you step up? Well, you do more today than you did yesterday. And you continue to perpetuate that practice throughout your life. When it says to meditate on the word day and night, you can read it and mean, oh, well, it means first thing in the morning, last thing at night. And maybe maybe it does. But maybe it means that you're meditating on the truth of the word of God all day, every day. That everything you do, everything you think, everything you are is in line with the word of God. And the only way that you can know that is by being under the Word of God, by reading His Word, by hearing His Word, by uh, being in a place where uh, reliable people are teaching His Word. His commandments are not just His desires. They're also designed for our good. If we seek Him first, then all the other stuff will be added to us. But it seems that so often we've decided that if we could just get a few more of the stuff added to us, then maybe we'd have a little bit time to seek him. Can you see that that is not the way that it's designed? We seek him first, and then he gives us all the donuts or whatever it is we need. Probably not donuts, to be fair. You see, if we do that, we got that promise of John 10.10 10, that Jesus came to bring life, life in all its fullness. And don't you want to have a full life? Don't you want to have a fulfilled life? Don't you want to think, oh my word, this is great. This, I was made for this. I was born for a day like this. I think every time I've experienced that, that has been in the service of Christ. 
I've had good times doing other stuff, but the things where I felt, oh my word, I was made for a day such as this, was when I'm in communion with Jesus, when I'm serving him. So here's my challenge to you today. What are you going to do today? What are you going to change to make sure that you experience more of his love, that you become more of a man or a woman of God today than you were yesterday? It's going to take a change. Now, the reality of it is, most people who, th- who know you, they think you've already got the first bit down, the love your Lord, your God bit, because otherwise, why would you go to church? You know, otherwise, why would you work for the message? They kind of think you've got it down, but God knows. God knows where your heart is. So for many of us, actually the truth of it is, the rubber hits the road in the second part of the commandment. You see, I I was thinking about this the other day. You get eternity to love God, but you will only get your natural life to serve God. So it seems to me that we need to make sure that we've got a good balance in loving our neighbors as ourselves. James, the brother of Jesus, said in James 2 and uh, uh, verse 8, If you really keep the law found in the Scripture, love your God as yourself, you are doing right. Well, the opposite is true. If you don't do it, you're doing wrong. So here's my question. How are you doing? I did a a project a few years ago, um, and I went to the local council, and I said, well, you know, I'm going to get all the churches together, and we're going to do thousands of hours of social action, a little bit like we do with Love Withenshaw this week. We're going to do all this, and we're uh, going to clean graffiti, we're going to clear streets, we're going to clear rivers, we're going to run football clubs, we're going to do all this stuff. And and the deputy leader of the council said, why would you do that? why, Why? And I said, well, you know that we love God with everything we've got. And she went, yeah, obviously. I said, but we also love our neighbors as ourselves. And you're our neighbors. So the question is, who is your neighbor? Well, your neighbor might be that nice person that lives next door that you kind of quite like doing a little bit of shopping for. Or maybe, you know, you just just want to bless them. But maybe your neighbor's the person who's got a dog that lives next door, that just barks incessantly. Maybe you've got people who live next door to you that just, they keep their garden an absolute mess. They've got fridges and cookers and old cars rotting in it. Maybe they're Welsh. Maybe they're from other nations. I was in the pub um, a few weeks ago, and this lady said to me, oh, it's terrible what's happening in Ukraine, isn't it? I said, oh, yeah, it's she said, it'd be lovely, wouldn't it, if, if we could, in our village, take in some people from the Ukraine. I said, oh, it'd be amazing, yeah. I thought, oh, this is a brilliant conversation. She says, you know, because let's be honest, can't believe that they're letting the Afghans stay in the Copthorne Hotel, which is the hotel on the edge of our village. That's disgusting, that, isn't it? We can't even go in there for a drink or a meal now because it's full of Afghans. And I was like, oh, this didn't go the way I wanted. And she told me why she didn't like the Afghans. Like she'd ever met one, you know, like absolute nonsense. And I thought, oh, you know, and I, was, I felt quite judgmental. I, I, I did talk to her about why I thought she was wrong. But I thought, well, hang on. Who are the people that just don't chime with me? The people that I don't think are my neighbors. 
And of course, somebody once asked Jesus, didn't they? Well, who is my neighbor? And he told them the most outrageous story, the most ridiculous story, the, the thing that would be the most abhorrent to the guy that he was telling the story to, that the, that the person who did the good work was a Samaritan. Remember that story? And the question, the answer to the question, who is my neighbor, is everybody that's not you and everybody that's not God. Hmm, however, <laughs> it gets more complicated, more complicated than that, doesn't it? Because we also know in that, uh, that story of Matthew 25 that actually Jesus incarnates the position of the person in need, of the prisoner, of the widow, of the homeless person, of the, and go on and on and on. All of his creation is his neighbor. So my activation for you today is how are you going to love your neighbor? If, if, if and I say this without judgment, I just, but I do want to challenge you in it. If you're thinking, I cannot believe I might have to go out in the rain today and do some work when I, all I really want to do is look at my computer screen and I resent the fact that Lucy Engels is asking me to do it, then I would have to say, how does that reflect in the concept of loving, loving your neighbor? And actually, if you're thinking, do you know what, actually, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm off the hook. Because I've got to love my neighbor as myself. I, to be honest, I don't, really, I don't really have a high regard for myself. And that, 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 it, that's, the case. that's the case for some people, isn't it? There's some people who think, you know what, I'm not all that. In fact, I've got really low self-esteem. Well, you don't get off the hook because Jesus only brought one new commandment. He says there's one commandment, one new commandment I bring to you, that you love each other as I loved you. So it's never about you now. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about how he loves you. He wants you to love others. So I guess some of us are going to have to ask God to do some heart surgery on us today in order, to, uh, to, in order for us to go the extra mile, in order for us to have a good heart. And remember, by the way, God's not just judging your actions, he's judging your attitudes. And your attitudes affect your altitude. You know, he's not really interested in your worship if you don't love his creation. And his creation are his people. So why would we want to love where we live? Well, because it's a commandment. It's the most important commandment after loving the Lord our God is how we serve his creation. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>